Welcome into the Better Advertising with Better AMS podcast. My name is Justin and I am your host. Today I'm joined alongside the Senior E-Commerce Marketing Manager for Sports Research, Michael Schwartz. Welcome in, Michael. Hey, good to be here. Awesome to have you, my man. Um, As I mentioned, you're currently the Senior E-Commerce Marketing Manager for Sports Research. But I wanted to take a little walk down your resume for our listeners and talk about your your time with sports research and previously channel advisor for about three to four years. So if uh, we can go down your uh, your experience there. Yeah. Uh, so like you said, I'm currently the e-commerce marketing manager at sports research. It's a little bit of a broad remittance, uh, but paid media, owned media uh, and the content that kind of goes along with those pieces all kind of rolls up under there. Uh, some Android Amazon accounts, as well as the website. Uh, I've been here for, what, since the beginning of February. And prior to that, I spent the last several years at Channel Advisor, which is a enterprise software as a service company. Uh, the, you know, their primary business is essentially like listing and data feed management, but they also run a in-house agency uh, with a specialty on the retail media side. Uh, so that's where I was for the last several years, really helped kind of build out their best practices, their program uh, as that team was getting developed. Was that really your experience um, at Channel Advisor, your introduction into Amazon? Was that really the first time you got your hands around that marketplace? It was the most in-depth I had ever been. So I worked at a uh, SMB prior to that called Thunderworks, uh, which is like a consumer product, pet product company, uh, and had started to get kind of some introduction to some of how Amazon worked, but wasn't directly managing the channel. Um, I'd caught uh, a bit of the digital marketing bug there, uh, got some experience with Facebook ads, uh, running email programs, that sort of thing. Uh, and then going into Channel Advisor was really looking to develop a little bit more expertise within kind of the paid media space. Um, so that was where I really got to cut my teeth. Awesome. Yeah, I remember my introduction into Amazon myself back in the day was at a, a large pool retailer. And uh, they were on many marketplaces doing omni-channel and we were looking to work with Channel Advisor at that time. Um, so that was my intro to to Channel Advisor. But um, now you're working at Sports Research and, as you said, managing really all digital marketing aspects, which is a lot to get your hands around as one person. So that's, um, as you said, your own site and um, marketplaces, correct? Uh, yeah, uh, it definitely is. We have some really good agency partners that we work with and then we're still kind of fleshing out the in-house team to, to work with them. Awesome. Um, well, to, to get into it there with sports research, what um, what marketing efforts are you guys really digging into investing in uh, currently outside of Amazon PPC? We talk a lot about Amazon PPC here, but I love, you know, what you guys are doing outside of that. So um, what's really been your guys' focus lately? You know, outside of Amazon, just trying to kind of scale the website and get that uh, to, uh, you know, relative parity with the Amazon business. Uh, I tend to think of it um, in, in pretty similar terms and uh, as far as like how how you kind of allocate between different strategies. So, you know, sub sponsored products for Google search advertising or Google shopping, sub DSP for Facebook, uh, sub, you know, uh, more like lifecycle oriented DSP strategies for like email and that sort of thing. So. Uh, in terms of how we kind of like manage the overall portfolio of efforts, it's, it's very similar. It's just kind of translating from one platform to another. Very interesting. And I'm glad to hear you guys are doing DSP, um, given the 
the portfolio of products you guys have, it would be, you know, prime for DSP and given your guys's um, awareness play on social media, which is really my next question here. Um, you know, the, the products that you guys entered a new vertical with being the, the sweet sweat, um, stick, it's kind of a tongue twister and the, uh, the waist trimmer, um, those two product lines, those really got, kind of got you into a new vertical outside of supplements, um, at sports research. Um, so how, how has that been getting into new verticals? And, um, obviously that's where it's really taken off, I think is on social media and going viral over on TikTok. I've seen. So, um, if you could talk a little bit about that, uh, you know, it actually went the other way around. Uh, so sweet sweat is the original product of the company going back to, uh, I want to say it's 1980 or so. So the company has been around, uh, a little over 40 years, I believe. Uh, and the, the founder, uh, who still owns the company today and runs it, uh, actually started out with that sweet sweat stick as something that supplemented a uh, gym business uh, that he used to run. Uh, and then sweet sweat was the predominant thing for uh, years and years um, until uh, the some more of the family essentially kind of started getting more into supplements. Uh, and then the supplement business became, uh, you know, it was initially a little bit more of like a made for Amazon type play. Uh, that's just grown and grown from there. Um, but it can be interesting managing, you know, two significantly different businesses uh, within the portfolio. You know, I, I think the big thing is it's just really important to understand, um, you know, kind of the industry pressures that you face within different verticals. Uh, things like what is an acceptable ROAS for something that's a little bit more of like a clothing equivalent versus something that's more of a CPG uh, and being able to kind of balance, uh, balance things out between them. Yeah. So with there being so much, you know, difference in terms of customer acquisition, in terms of those two kinds of products, is it great for cross-selling your, your products across those two? Cause I imagine, you know, both are fitness oriented audiences. Um, you know, if someone's buying the sweet sweat stick and, um, or the waistline trimmer, they may be primed for supplements. You know, I'm thinking in terms of DSP cross-selling audiences there, or is it really um, you focus in on one or the other? Yeah, you know, to date, uh, they really are two distinct brands, uh, although we are seeing a lot of opportunity to cross-sell in the future between, uh, again, people that are interested in fitness coming into the sweet sweat line. And then we have things like uh, whey protein, uh, like pre-workout type products uh, within the supplement line. And there's a lot of opportunity there. Yeah, that's not to say you guys aren't, you know, doing amazing things on the supplement side. Um, I talk often on this podcast that I used to do private label myself and did a supplement brand and we competed against your MCT oil like crazy back in the day. So, um, yes, I, I know your guys' name very well. <laughs> to get into the next question here, um, with such a large catalog and such an even spread focus, I mean, it's not like you know, seemingly it doesn't seem like one product dominates your guys's uh, business. It's, it's a pretty good spread. So how do you guys distribute such a large marketing budget across such a, you know, vast portfolio of products? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, at, at a really detailed level, you know, it's, it's line, line by line bids. Uh, but the theory is we're always trying to make sure that each incremental dollar that we invest is finding the next most efficient place possible. So you kind of chase through, you know, diminishing marginal returns that way. So when we're looking at kind of the overall catalog, uh, we're not necessarily looking to say, you know, we need to support collagen this much and MCT that much and, uh, you know, so on, however that works out. But more saying, 
you know, we have this amount of money to spend across the catalog. What's the most efficient way to spend it entirely? So that might mean that we're essentially chasing the same return on call it non-brand traffic or blended across all, you know, all stages of the funnel uh, for each different product. And what we tend to see is that then some products have uh, you know, a little bit more weakness or a little bit more opportunity. And through just, you know, bidding to those same ROAS goals, you end up putting a little bit more support behind the areas that have a little bit more competitive weakness. And then you'll actually kind of see that grow into a larger share of the catalog. Okay. Interesting. So you kind of test it out for a while, regauge it a little bit later, see where there's opportunity to, to step on it a little bit, a little bit faster. You know, we we need the help of some good tech partners to be able to manage bids in that way. Uh, you use a tech partner to be able to kind of manage bids down to the level where, you know, when we need to spend more or less, uh, we're marginally bidding differently across every target in the catalog to be able to achieve that while aiming for that same kind of return. Just curious, um, at the frequency in which you're doing those kind of like bid op changes, are you guys doing day parting by chance? Uh, we are not doing day parting yet. I think of, you know, like true day parting. So bidding by hour of day as being mm-hmm. kind of like a second line optimization. Um, we are still neck deep and restructuring the account uh, from when I came on and when we got our new agency partners on board. Um, so, you know, restructuring an account of the size can take quite, you know, quite a long time to, to really get done and get done well. So, you know, I, we're we're not quite ready yet is the is the uh short answer to that that's fair you're not the only ones we uh we recently had an episode out um with a with a friend at an aggregator and we talk about that often too like as an agency as an aggregators we come into new brands and accounts and uh, that's sometimes the first big project is is cleaning up you know restructuring so uh, we feel your pain there <laughs> i like to say you know bad data can get baked into automations so if you start day parting based on something that doesn't have a strong foundation you can actually kind of build in a, a kind of permanent negative to, to the business. It's very true. Um, I had, hadn't quite thought about that. Um, it's a good call out. Um, it sounds like you guys are using quite a few tech tools to, to monitor and you know, make decisions around your marketing efforts. Um, is there anything specifically that you guys are, are getting a lot of you know, value out of right now? Um, so we have a just excellent director of business intelligence here uh, that set us up with a uh, platform called Domo, uh, which is, uh, I'm going to butcher it, but it's a little bit data warehouse. It's a little bit uh, data processing through like data flows, ETLs, that sort of thing. Uh, and then it has a front end visualization tool strapped onto it as well. That's kind of in the vein of Google Data Studio. Uh, so through that and, you know, smart architecture within how we name and structure our advertising campaigns, uh, we're actually able to pull in our own, uh, own performance data via API and then uh, visualize uh, how sprint spend is breaking out between different stages of the funnel, different parts of the catalog, uh, and really be able to, you know, drill in and, and get good insights and make decisions a lot more quickly than we otherwise would be able to. Um, so, you know, I, I think if I was going to give advice to somebody, uh, in, investing, in, you know, a good structure behind your business intelligence from the get go, uh, is, is really helpful. It'll save you a lot of time down the line. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I know someone, um, one of my buddies still works in uh, private label here and he, he had to build his own, uh, power BI kind of data visualization tool. And, uh, sounds like Domo is a, is a plug and play solution. Assuming you, you have clean, proper nomenclature in your, your advertising and, and other things, right? Uh, plug and play might be a little bit of a stretch. Uh, we have built okay. really custom, customized dashboards out of it. Um, but it can, uh, I mean, it can help you build whatever, you know, whatever you happen to be able to dream up. But, you know, the, the big thing is when you're setting up your account structure, when you're building out all of these campaigns, you need to kind of pre plan how you're going to look at things. So what needs to be, uh, you know, think of like regex kind of filters within like campaign and ad group names, because not every campaign type is going to give you product level reporting and even product level reporting can have some issues where they click into one SKU, they buy another. And then if you're trying to make decisions, you know, trying to follow that can become problematic. So knowing that we want to actually roll it up to say a product line or a subcategory and be able to look at it that way means that every single subcategory we sell needs to be broken out into different campaigns and be named appropriately so that we can do that across all ad types. Yeah, I mean, we've we've preached it in almost all of our content, but nomenclature makes um, reviewing your data and, and downloading reports and manipulating your data uh, so much easier down the line. So um, couldn't agree more with you there. Looking over, do you guys have some intelligence around, you know, subscribe and save um, and, and kind of lifetime value around such a large CPG portion of your business? Um, I know Amazon's not the best around that area, but, um, you know, maybe you guys have made some sense of it, given your tools. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, subscriptions are a big part of our strategy in general. You know, I, I don't want to get too far into kind of giving out the secret sauce. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, they're definitely a focus for us and pursuing, uh, you know, the growth of customer lifetime value, both on a category level and account level, uh, is, is top of mind for us. And DSP ends up playing a, a really big part of that and how we, uh, remarket to, you know, past purchasers that aren't subscribing. And on that note, DSP just released the actual like dynamic subscriber audiences, which is great. Uh, but also, once you have a subscriber, how do you keep them happy, keep them subscribed for a long time? How do you introduce them to the appropriate X product to where they might have, uh, you know, a multiple product subscription with you moving forward? Um, all of that is is definitely foundational to, to selling a consumable. Yeah, and that is uh, so much easier now, given the new DSP audience, so much easier to cross sell uh, to uh, existing subscribers. So um but given, you know, the insights you have around that number, um, you know, lifetime value, does it justify, you know, certain aggressive marketing um, efforts on, you know, certain products? Like we know that uh, a customer is going to repeat 10 times on this product versus two times on this other. We can justify higher uh, tacos or, or customer acquisition costs there. Yeah, exactly. So I'll give an example from a past life, different business. Again, don't want to be too specific with what we're kind of have going on day to day, but yeah. uh, I actually did some estimations based on uh, new to brand rate with unsponsored brands uh, for a client that I used to work with. Uh, and, you know, basically the way the math worked out is on our advertising spend, the new to brand ROAS was probably about a dollar. I think it was, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly, which would, when you start to factor out costs and, you know, the cost of the good and the fees and everything else, it's, it's pretty largely negative on the first order. 
Uh, but that client in particular saw over, you know, kind of a 12 month lifetime value figure as, as much of a 10 X, uh, ROAS on that cost of acquiring the new customer. So when you understand what lifetime value looks like, uh, whether you're going to, you know, whether you're in hard good or, or, uh, consumable, um, you know, you're able to start making better decisions about, well, what percent can I reinvest in advertising? And out of that, what are my expectations for what the actual performance is? And, you know, I think even though a lot of advertisers might not have a good grip on it, you know, the industry will actually kind of force you into the right number. Uh, there's a reason that most consumables behave in a similar kind of ROAS range and a similar percent budget allocated. And most, you know, hard goods, clothing, that sort of thing behave in another uh, electronics behave in another that's a little bit more similar to the hard goods because they don't have that LTV. Um, but when you really start to, you know, kind of zoom out and make decisions about the business, having an understanding of LTV on the business, but also on the product level, and also an understanding of what it costs to get a new customer in the door um, are foundational for sure. Yeah, I think for, I mean, bringing it back full circle to um, talking about lifetime value and customer acquisition costs, uh, I think those are two big variables to understand if you have um, a CPG style product such as supplements. Um, and so those insights you guys are getting from your tools um, are fantastic because a lot of uh, sellers sometimes, you know, want a profitable uh, one-time sale and that just may not make sense in your, your category, your product type. Um, like you said, having context to um, there's a reason why there's the row as you're seeing is what it is, um, given your product. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Well, I appreciate the time today, my friend. We'll have to chat again another time. But given that, um, I'll give you back the rest of your day um, and your happy hour. We'll chat next time. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was good being on.